When will we know? What is our plan? How can we do this? Is this possible? It's going to look different. It's a new challenge we face. But the pandemic won't stop us. We will emerge stronger than before. With professional development for our teachers and world-class learning for our students. We won't just meet expectations, we will exceed them. Finding a Way, ATSD World Class Podcast. Episode one, the beginning. It's the eve before the first day of school. Summer break is at a close and children are feeling both anxious and excited. New students are entering kindergarten, the start of their academic career. Seniors will make the most of their last school year before entering the next phase of their life's journey. New learning, new teachers, new friends. But this year is different. The world has changed. Countless hours of preparation and consideration has led to a decision. Troy Schools will start the 2020-21 school year virtually. If you are a student or a parent or a Troy teacher or staff member, this raises a lot of questions. We know you are concerned. We know that this might be causing stress. Through this podcast, we hope to help alleviate as much of this tension as we can, because doing the best for our community is our mission. The Troy School District is finding a way, and this is just the beginning. Thank you for joining us for this introductory episode. I'm Thomas Butcher, creative content producer here in the district, and I have with me an impressive panel of guests who are sure to deliver an engaging and valuable conversation for us here today. Going down the line, we have Carrie Birmingham, Director of Communications and Strategic Initiatives, Lisa McDonald, Teaching and Learning Literacy and Curriculum Specialist Pre-K-5, and Sarah Ventimiglio, School Psychologist. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for Thank having, you for having us. us. Of course. My first question is open to everyone here. What are the pros and cons of virtual learning? I would say one of the pros of virtual learning is that we're going into this with making sure that we are still teaching our rigorous Troy curriculum that our community has expected and that it's with our Troy teachers and students at the heart of that. So when we went into thinking about what teaching and learning was going to look like virtually, it was important that we weren't outsourcing that to a third party, that we wanted our students to be with our teachers and our curriculum was not going to change. Yes, we have to adapt it for that virtual environment, but it's still the curriculum that our students and our teachers know and our community expects. I think that our teaching and learning department, as well as um, the district in general, have have put a real focus, too, on building those classroom communities. Um, And Lisa talked about that a little bit, and I think that that is so important because when you're in a virtual setting, um, you know, it's, it's easy to feel removed. And what we did in building classes is to build classrooms in the same way that we always would. So there'll be a group of students assigned to a teacher the same way that they always would. They can build that sense of community within their classroom. Um, They can work in small groups with one another. They can um, interact with their teacher, a teacher that they may know that they've seen in the building, that this is a, you know, a regular teacher assigned to, to that particular school. I think that that part is really important here. And I think that our kids are digital natives. 
I mean, they are very flexible. They have a lot more comfort in a virtual environment than sometimes we give them credit for. Um, we have had students all summer long submitting um, videos, teaching other students skills and, and things that they do. Um, so I think our students are going to dive right in, and I think that they're going to have um, a great Troy School District experience even if they're not sitting in that seat. And I think that the professional development that our teaching and learning department has been able to offer our teachers will provide that same level of comfort for our teachers um, as well. It's not the same. I mean, we have to be honest about that. It's, it's not the same environment. And we're gonna all have to give each other and ourselves a little bit of grace in this, that things are not going to necessarily be perfect um, every single minute of every single day. But I truly believe that uh, with our supportive community and our phenomenal teachers, that this is going to be a great experience um, for our students with the hope still that we get to come back, you know, in the not too distant future and we see each other again, because that's what everybody wants. Yeah, we have found just to piggyback off of Carrie is that some students, the ones like she mentioned, who are teaching other students how to do a skill through Zoom or something, some of our students absolutely thrive through, um, you know, through the virtual learning. So again, we want to all be back in seat and to see each other face to face. But, you know, we're all going to take this in stride and work together day by day. Wonderfully said, everyone. Now, Carrie, you are part of the superintendent's cabinet, the team at Central Office. What's it like over there right now? What does the atmosphere feel like? You know, we are excited. The The beginning of a new school year is always exciting. It is um, exciting within the buildings because teachers are getting ready and principals are getting ready to welcome those students in traditionally. But it's exciting for us, too, because the beginning of a school year is always kind of a new journey or a new beginning and everybody kind of gets to start over and and make their way that year. Um, we are seeing a lot of potential this year even though we're starting in a completely different way than we ever have before. We are, we are sensing some of that um, excitement going on with our students. Our families are getting used to now that we've given them enough information so that they know what to expect. Our families are getting used to, to, um, to the idea that we're going to start virtually. And although we are very busy right now, I mean, it is very, very busy answering parent questions, talking about providing meals, student grab-and-go breakfast and lunches to, to people, talking about providing technology to students. Um, all of those things, those logistical things, we are handling uh, at a district level right now. But I do think that because within this district, we have an attitude of whatever it takes, we will do whatever it takes to help students find success in whatever environment we're in, that we're really energized. And um, I think maybe our trepidation was earlier in the summer, and now we're kind of in a, a mode of, okay, let's do this. We can do this. Now, I know Dr. Macheski made it a point in his welcome back message that he wants to be able to return to in-person learning as soon as possible. So... Is there a threshold for that? Are there factors? Is it going to be obvious when it's time? Well, we have made the commitment to revisit that decision at five weeks. The board said at five weeks we will revisit that decision and um, see where we are. Over that period of time, we plan to survey both our parents and our staff 
um, to see not only how the virtual learning is going, but but how ready they feel to come back into the buildings. But there are also some data points and some metrics. And we really, we're required to go through the governor's roadmap um, to return students to school. And one of the things that the governor's roadmap requires is for us to work with our local health department on what those metrics are and what kind of criteria we need to get students back in the building. Um, we're, ki we're very excited because we just um, found out that we have our three nurses, the Oakland County Health Department through a grant hired three nurses for us. Um, that's also a partnership with Oakland Schools. So we have two of those three nurses fully on board. The next should be on board next week. And those are the people that we will work with to set up exactly what our criteria are. But I can tell you, the things that we're looking at already, um, the percentage of positive tests, what that does is that tells us what the level of community spread is. When you take the total number of tests that are given in a community, and for us that community would be our county, um, and then you look at the, the number of positive tests, that percentage can tell you whether community spread is under control or whether community spread is not yet managed. That's a really important metric for us. We also look at the trends. We look at the 14-day trends specifically, and that could be the number of cases, but also the number of deaths. And we are fortunate here in Michigan that our number of deaths has gone down. Um, our number of cases, we've had a little bit of spike back at the end of July and into August, but we're hoping to get a, a handle on that as well. We look at the cases per million. We also look at the containment efforts and the testing efforts in our area. We've got some world-class hospitals around here, um, so our capacity may be higher than, than some other places, but those are the kinds of things we look at um, as well. Schools are a unique environment, though. I mean, we're talking about bringing children back into a building. Um, we have 13,000 plus students, and we have about 16 to 1,800 staff that we're bringing back into buildings too. It's really important to us to do that safely. And Dr. Machewski has, has stated over and over that his goal is to get folks back in the buildings as quickly as possible, but that's likely gonna mean a transition period. And that may mean small groups coming in um, and our hybrid model coming in. And I think that that's important because that will be able to show us that our mitigation efforts and the safety measures that we're putting in place are indeed the right safety measures. That is very incredible because when you think about it, if one person has the potential to spread the virus to 40 people and then those 40 people spread it to another 40 people, if you're not taking the correct precautions and you do move too fast, that could be almost instantaneous for so many people in our district to contract that virus if we're not careful. So that's why it's really important, I think, to consult with the experts on this because all of us that look at the news and look at various um, sources, we can see that they are learning about this virus. Scientists are learning about this virus as as it happens. And so it's really important for us to work with those experts and to lean on those folks and say, okay, um, here's here's what we think. We want to be back in school help us to get there as opposed to you know us creating a system all on our own uh, we have some great partners within this community and we've got some parents in the healthcare industry who have weighed in and helped us out as well and at this point i think the most important thing we can do is make all of those preparations and then see how these first five weeks go and if we're in a good place after that we're happy to start transitioning back Lisa, you work in the teaching and learning department. Did you ever imagine that school would look like this? 
I don't think any of us back in March when this pandemic hit imagined that this is what school was going to end up being and be our new norm. Um, But I will say that we've learned so much as an organization since March, and there's just been such a tremendous amount of teamwork that's happened within our organization, and our teachers have done a beautiful job of stepping up to the challenge and just seeing them in leadership roles, ready to dig into what is this going to look like? How are we going to make this work? And our students are resilient too. And it was it was good learning experience to see how successful were we in the spring and what worked well, what didn't work well, and how are we going to improve on that to make it even better in the fall. So again, a tremendous amount of work has been happening um, within our district since March. But it's a new um, beginning. It's it's different than what we've ever gone through as educators before, especially launching a year with new students in a virtual environment. But we've been providing professional learning for our teachers, um, continuing to communicate with our students and our community, making sure that we're hearing their voices as well and making sure that their needs are being met. And like Carrie was saying, we'll, we'll come back and we'll reconvene in five weeks and we'll see where we are and how it's been going and how can we continue to just improve from there as well. It is certainly different. Some would say unprecedented. What remains the same though? for students or staff? Is there a constant through all this? The constant, I would say, is, again, going back to thinking about um, the curriculum. And good teaching is good teaching. And yes, there's challenges with the technology pieces of um, learning Zoom. Like who knew Zoom even existed back in January? So thinking about those those new platforms for teachers. But we've put so much um, emphasis into prioritizing the learning of our teachers. And that is you know, part of our values. And because we've put so much of an emphasis into job embedded professional learning that our teachers are um, strong in their curriculum and understanding that it's helped, I think, with that transition into this virtual environment, that the curriculum wasn't changing, that we um, may had to make some adaptions and adjustments to pacing. But overall, we weren't going to say, oh, we're going to go with a different program or different assessments or a different type of curriculum because of this. We were sticking with what we know is best in Troy. And I think that's really important for our students as well. Now, are there any concepts or tools that are being learned or acquired through all of this that will continue to be implemented even after it's all over. Because this is the first time where we've had a pandemic in modern history with all this technology on hand. So it's drastically different than 100 years ago when you had the flu pandemic. And now with stuff like Zoom, Schoology, apps, There's got to be something different about this that is unique to our point in history. So what's going to kind of carry over? Well, there has been um, such an enormous amount of learning and thinking about the different type of platforms that we're using for teaching. And it's opened up. Teachers have outgrown themselves as far as what they know about technology. And for some of us, 
outside of our comfort zones as well, but we've learned so much so quickly. And there's been um, really good benefits to that as well. I think from a student perspective and from a staff perspective as well, when we think about um, Schoology, that is one piece that I could see definitely carrying over beyond pandemic. Um, When we were getting feedback from families, that was something that we heard loud and clear, is that it would be really great to have a common platform for all of our students K through 12 that a family can go to and they know where they can find out information about the teacher, about their courses, um, about schedules, accessing materials, and that I can see is um, a way for us to be able to continue to streamline that information for parents even beyond pandemic. Zoom has opened up the possibilities to for us to collaborate like we never have before. So whether that be something we continue for students or for staff as well, um, you know, someone like Sarah who is in a position where she has to go from building to building to meet with different teams. Now that we have these different platforms to be able to can easily come together and collaborate with one another, it's just opened up possibilities. I've seen that even with grade level teams just working throughout the summer. Um, you know, you're used to collaborating with your your teachers, your colleagues within your building, but to see the collaboration that's been happening across our district because we have an easy way to get together, it's been um, something that I hope will continue even beyond our pandemic. Now, Sarah, is it accurate to say that attention to mental health has increased over the last 10 years? Yes, I would say that is very accurate to say. (laughs) How much has it increased, would you say? A lot. I mean, I don't know exactly. Like a thousand percent. Oh, for sure. A thousand, a million, infinity percent. You know, we've really just, um, as a society, I think, have become more open to the idea of mental health and supporting mental health. Um, It's not so much... um, shameful anymore for people to go and talk to someone and to go get support you know it's something that people need and it's okay to do so so yeah it's definitely gained more attention and how do you define mental health are there any misconceptions what what is mental health to you so mental health um i think a common misconception is people think of it as disorders Um, bipolar, anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, they think of it as a medical diagnosis. That's mental health. But it's really much more broad than that. It is looking at how how do we as individuals cope with day-to-day challenges? We face different challenges all the time. Are we able to cope with the challenges? How do we cope? Um, You know, it's really looking at our physical, our emotional, and our social um, status, how we're feeling in the moment. And I think that's what people have to realize is it's, we're all, we all experience mental health issues to an extent. It's going to be how, how we know how to cope with them um, and our support systems in place and, you know, how we continue to work through them. I mean, we've all just gone through a pandemic. (laughs) We're still in a pandemic. We all respond differently to how this pandemic has occurred. And, you know, some are doing okay. Others need some more help and that's okay too. So some might say that it is necessary 
for a psychologist such as yourself to be in our schools? I mean, I would definitely say yes, but I, I of course, I think, you know, um, in so a, why is it? Well, in a, so in a school system, um, oftentimes we are aligned with special education. So we work often with special education students, but a lot of our role as a school psychologist within the school systems is working with building teams, working with our multi-tiered system of support teams. Um, we often use acronyms in the world of special education, so that's also the MTSS team, um, MTSS team. So we are a part of that team which collaborates with you know teachers, principals, social workers, speech pathologists, resource room teachers, teacher consultants. You know, there's a variety of expertise at the table and um, us along with social workers are very very knowledgeable in terms of mental health and how to support mental health in the school system so this leads right to where we are right now in this moment so while we are virtual students will likely experience a decrease in typical student life school functions football games clubs I don't know if any decisions have been made regarding a homecoming dance as of yet, but we know prom was canceled for seniors back in May, so it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. At some point, that takes a toll. Mm -hmm. Is there something students should be doing preemptively to try and avoid any potential mental health problems as a result of all of that? Should this be a concern? Well, of course. I mean, especially what you're mentioning, like sports and homecoming, a lot of those things that happen at the high school level, you know, you look forward to that when you're in high school. Um, even at the elementary and middle school level, there's so many different clubs that the students can participate in, enjoy, get to know new friends. I mean, I know middle schools, they usually have... Um, buddy systems, you know, maybe the sixth graders buddy with the eighth graders just to become familiar with an older student and familiar with the building. You know, that's not happening in person right now. Um, but for students, I think the best way, we still have to figure out how we can connect each other. Clubs can still go on. How do we do that virtually? You know, I know video games are very popular with kids and they can play online together. I mean, that's a connection with their friends. As far as sports, I mean, maybe kids who play sports can get together and watch virtually a football game, you know, a previously recorded football game because, you know, we don't have football now either. There's a lot, there's a lot of changes still happening for us. But I think that, you know, we can get creative and we can come up with ways to connect and still make our school experience something to be remembered. Not just because we're in a pandemic, but make some, you know, positive, some good memories. I think we could still figure things out. Now, this is going to be directed to everyone. Before we return to in-person learning at full 100 percent, there will likely be a transitional phase where we will see a hybrid learning model part virtual, part in seat. So how are we preparing for that phase? Well, going back to thinking about all of the planning that's been happening since March. So when we were thinking about March, first it was two weeks we have to plan for, and then two weeks turned into now it's the rest of the school year. And when that turned into the rest of the school year um, from teaching and learning, we knew that 
we had a big task at hand because we needed to make sure that we were supporting our teachers with curriculum, that we were making sure those resources were there for them and available. But we also needed to come together across the district. So we had task force committees that were created, our first one being um, K-12, led by Dr. Macheski. And that was a combination of administration from all of our buildings and all of our departments being represented, teachers from all grade levels, teaching and learning department, um, our tech chairs. And we were coming together to start to think about, one, how are we going to finish out this year? And then going into the summer, thinking about the governor's return to school roadmap. And there was a tremendous amount of planning that went into thinking about what was going to be required, what was going to be strongly recommended, and how are we going to be coming up with a virtual plan and a hybrid plan too, taking into account those safety protocols that needed to be in place as well. So we also... um, met with grade level leadership teams. And that was really helpful for us in the spring to bring in more people to hear more voices as well, to be looking at um, our curriculum and all content areas and to be thinking about how pacing might be adjusted, but then also what is it going to look like for teaching and learning if we're in a virtual setting or a hybrid setting as well. So bringing back and having conversations and um, troubleshooting because there were some obstacles along the way that we had to think about. But we knew, again, whether it was going to be 100% virtual or it was going to be hybrid, that we wanted all of our Troy students with our Troy teachers and making sure that we were going to come up with a good plan that those students were still going to have that classroom community feel. Our, our classrooms are second families for teachers and for children, and we wanted our students to still have that. So we needed to plan for what would a hybrid environment look like with safety protocols in place. So having not as many kids in and coming up with a rotation type of schedule, but also making sure that when we had our kids face-to-face, our students that were at home weren't disconnected from us, that they were still able to have um, the technology in the classroom, the technology at home for students, that they were a part of the class every day, being streamlined in. So it wasn't um, that disconnected feel. We wanted our students to have that, that classroom family community we're here together and it's gonna look like that on a daily basis virtual or hybrid. So a large amount of planning and making sure that we were meeting with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teachers because we wanted to hear everyone's voices. We wanted to know what worked well in the spring and um, how could we get better? So what suggestions did they have? And again, just getting surveys and feedback from our staff, from our community, from our students. Another area that we heard loud and clear was the need for more live instruction. So that was um, a big charge that we had ahead of us of thinking about, okay, if we're virtual or if we're hybrid, how are we going to make sure that we have live instruction for our students? Because 
as human beings, we're social learners. And our students, they want to see their teachers' faces. They want to see their their friends, whether that means on the screen for a Zoom, live altogether, or making sure that they're going to be streamed in live during a hybrid environment as well. So that was really important for us. And um, we, we worked really hard with it over the summer and came back to it again and again to make tweaks. But we feel confident that we have a great plan going into the fall. I would agree. Um, I think, first of all, I just need to give a shout out to our teaching and learning department. I think they have done a phenomenal job, a job that that to me seemed overwhelming. Uh, How do you make this seismic shift? And not only one shift, but multiple shifts. I mean, we've talked about this being a dial, and it truly is. You know, we're very hopeful that we turn that dial and we go into our hybrid setting and everything goes perfectly or goes great and we're able to keep dialing up and we're bringing more students back in the building. But we can't control a pandemic. So there may be times where we have to dial things back a little bit too. And our teaching and learning department has done a phenomenal job of of truly coming up with a plan that student learning doesn't really change, no matter where you are. Your student, no matter what building they're in, is going to be learning that same Troy School District material um, and curriculum and going to have that same school, Troy School District teacher. And I think that that was critical for us. From, from my perspective at Central Office and within the district, a lot of what we think about right now in terms of hybrid are logistics. How would busing work? How does you know, we are currently going through every single building. In fact, we've done most of this work, but putting in um, touchless hand sanitizer systems, um, not just the two you had in the building before, but but multiple stations, stations, um, you know, at every classroom. What, what do teachers need to come back? What do teachers um, need in their own classrooms in order to to keep students safe and to feel safe themselves? How do we do um, certain things that, that never seemed you know, was just a typical part of school before lunch. Well, we can't put 200 students in a lunchroom now. So how do we do lunch? All of those logistical things are things that that we work through um, from a central office perspective. And we've got multiple plans in place for lots of different groups of students. As I said, starting off with small groups and and bringing students back. So that's one of the things that we um, that we're really looking at. And then also we do have to recognize too. And and Sarah talked about this beautifully, I think. But we have to recognize, too, that everybody copes in different ways with everything that we're going on. So we we will have students coming back to us, whether it's in this virtual setting or when they come back into the buildings, who um, might have fears and might have some anxieties or, or may not have had perhaps the best experience at home. Everybody is coming to us from different places. So I think supporting our teachers, too, and and giving them, you know, some skills around what kinds of trauma students may have had, giving them skills on how to how to kind of re-engage with students and how to help them re-engage with one another, I think is critically important too. And I guess the final thing from my point of view is communication. You know, I think as a district, we, we tend to over-communicate and um, that's kind of my mantra. We we are 100% transparent and we will, we will not only answer questions, but we'll proactively give you information. And I think in this case, we can't give parents too much information. Parents want to know what will happen um, in this scenario. What will this look like? What will that look like? And what will be required of them? Because as students come back into our building, we're going to have some pretty strict protocols in terms of of um, the health and the health of that child coming back in, and what 
coming back in will mean and what sort of rules might be in place. And that those rules would be in place to keep everybody safe. So from my perspective, too, I think communication is going to be key when we come back in that hybrid environment. Um, not just a return to the hybrid environment, but in general, just a return to the new school year. Um, the district, we've also had a social-emotional learning task force uh, that's been working throughout the summer to um, prepare for students and staff return to school. The governor's roadmap also had a mental and social-emotional health section, um, and we spent a lot of time digging through the phases and how to support students as we return to learn. So, you know, not just a hybrid model, but virtual, fully in-seat, um, and, you know, looking at the pandemic as a trauma and how, as staff, can we support students as they're returning, you know, in either setting, virtual, hybrid, or in-seat. So that has definitely been a huge portion of the planning for returning to school as well. Well, thank you, everyone, for being here. Fantastic stuff from everyone. I mean, from what Carrie was just talking about, too, and what everyone was really touching on is that this is great for transparency, this podcast series and everything else, it all folds into that. So I'm really excited that we're able to have so many voices start to come together and deliver this information to the people who really need it. So thank you everyone for being here. Before we sign off, are there any resources that you would like to direct our listeners to? Yeah, um, sure. For families and staff, um, if you've noticed the main TSD web webpage, um, there's a lot of resources right there, but one in particular is TSD Cares. Um, and that link will take you to different resources within the county that can support you, your family, your child, um, you know, for a variety of mental health reasons. Um, there's even information on uh, supports for food and whatnot. And it that same page with the TSD cares, you can fill out information and it links right to your child's building. So if you want to reach out to your child's building, you can fill out that TSD cares link. You can even just contact the building itself. But yeah, just for everyone to know that the main TSD website has a TSD cares link with a lot of resources within the county. I would agree. I think there's a lot of information on our website that's really um, important to parents right now. Um, I was on the special education website uh, yesterday, and there are a lot of resources for parents in that on that website as well. I think as we as we push information out, sometimes it becomes overload for people. So I want people to know that the things that we talk about will end up back on our website, whether it's on that front page, which we've redesigned simply to make it very simple and easy for people to find the information they need. Um, but there are lots of great resources out there. And the last thing I would say about resources is your child's teacher and the principal at your child's school are the biggest resource for you. If you have a question, if you have a concern, Give yourself, as I said, a little bit of grace. Don't worry so much that this is your child and you're not doing this right or your learning setup you have at home isn't you know, what you've seen on Pinterest. Um, reach out to your child's teacher. Reach out to the principal and say, hey, what can I do? I, I see my child struggling in this area or boy, my child really has an interest in this area. What can I do? And they will be able to give you lots of great ideas um, about ha how to handle this virtual environment, how to handle hybrid, and, you know, learning in general. Thanks for listening to Finding a Way, a TSD world-class podcast. 
You can hear more information and discover additional resources by subscribing to our stream on your favorite podcast platform. We post new episodes every week and feature voices from every department and every building. I'm your producer, Thomas Butcher, and we'll see you next time.